trying to get back in the swing of things. It's Morning Radio TBD. Joining Steamboat Willie and Tigger on the program, it's The Fitz and DJ J-Rig. Wait, do we really have Steamboat Willie and uh, Tigger joining us later? Because I have questions Why for not? them both. Why not? I have questions for both of them. We, we can. <laughs> we can do that now, I think. Along with millions of cats. Millions of cats? Wait, yeah, I... Yeah, it's, it's the name of a, of a piece that went into the public domain. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know anything about it. I just know the title was Millions of Cats. Millions of like, Cats. Got it. I'm on board. Well, so the, the Steamboat Willie Steamboat Willy thing is, is already kind of entertaining because the, the copyright on Mickey Mouse has expired, but he's still Disney's trademark. So companies can't just start like willy-nilly using old Willie. See what I did there? Um, like they, they still have to, to get Disney's permission in a lot of cases. However, as long as they make it clear that Disney has no affiliation with their, their production, they can, they can use uh, Mickey and Steamboat Willie in some wild ways. Like there's already basically blood and honey. You know, the the Winnie the Pooh movie. I hate movie. this so much. There's already uh, Steamboat Willie's, like, you know, haunted Steamboat. He's killing people. It's it's on its way. It's it's like, all, They had this thing cocked and loaded. It's on its way. Why? Why? <laughs> like, you're like, oh, the second this becomes free use, I'm going to find the worst possible way to do this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it feels like there was a period where when something would enter public domain... Um, the way that people would leverage it was mostly for artistic expression that was trying to be true to the original. I think of Frankenstein, right? Okay. You know, like when, when Frankenstein became, uh, public, uh, what's the, what's the term fair use public domain, public domain. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, when Frankenstein became public domain. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were a million Frankenstein movies made of varying degrees of quality, but they all tried to kind of be science fiction horror. Um, like you didn't see you didn't have like anybody doing Frankenstein where uh the monster was reinterpreted as like a teddy bear. Like I'm trying to go like the complete opposite, you know? Yeah, where's the romantic comedy musical? There we go. Perfect. Yeah. Um, as we all know, um, Frankenstein entered the public domain, and then it was a couple of years later that Frankenstein's monster entered the public domain. Uh, Correct. Very, very important to have that distinction because yeah. I am a shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I it's definitely. I mean, there are there are uh, there are sticklers for that one. I, I, I at one point I was, but at this point, I, I actually kind of think that the monster. Like the German tank himself being named Frankenstein, I'm, I think I'm okay with it. Uh, I, I I don't know if you have this kind of time or desire, but I think it'd be really funny for this week's episode to just put uh, Steamboat Willie, like superimpose him in our podcast uh, logo art. I just think that'd be hysterical. Uh, I could probably like make instead, that happen. instead of the kid screaming at the mic. It's it's, it's uh, Steamboat Willie. I can probably make that happen. <laughs> I Guess like we'll our, find out. I like our kids screaming at the mic, but um, I think, uh, I mean, drastic times call for drastic measures, and uh, this might be this might be the the perfect opportunity for such a thing. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I love it. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll work on it. 
it's not the most ridiculous thing to come out of this week. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it's already been a hell of a week. What else, what else you got, Josh? Well, this, I just came across before we sat down to record and, mm-hmm. uh, it's only Wednesday at the time of this recording. So, uh, <laughs> buckle up the rest of the week. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, but Fox news just had like a tarot card reader <laughs> on board Fucking show one. in prime time. At, like talking at, about Trump's chances. At, at what point do even Fox news viewers realize that the network is fundamentally unserious? Well, do they realize that they're unserious? I at this point I don't know. Like this is either like some big joke or they themselves are ridiculously deluded. Yeah. <clears throat> Who's in charge of it now? Is I mean, is it is it Lachlan? Oh, don't ask me. I don't pay attention to that crap. I think I think Lachlan took over after Rupert stepped down. And what I, I know one of his sons is is actually he's not He's not like a progressive ally or like a resistance lib or anything like that, but he is far more left leaning than the rest of his family. And it would it would really it I, I like my heart would be Twitter pated if I were to learn that the left leaning son has taken over Fox News and is just doing shit like this to troll his own viewers. Like I it would what? it would be like if Steve Bannon gained control of CNN and started just like pulling the i part of me would actually kind of find that fucking hilarious as long as you were in on the joke sure um i don't you think you're defenseless viewers I, I, well, yeah but I, you'd just be going what the fuck is happening I, I feel like the day that like caitlin collins interviews like a religious far-right fundamentalist and asks him softball questions my my little alarms would be going off i'd be like something about this is <laughs> this isn't right <laughs> It's a little nutty, but like I came across the news first that like Hannity was leaving New York. He's moving to Florida. Okay. And then I came across the tarot card thing and I was like, are these dots connected? Was Hannity like, you know what? I have got to get out of this studio. It's getting a little too bonkers. So the thing is, is like for for all of their despite the fact that they engage in bad faith almost intentionally. Fox News does not hire stupid people like uh, Hannity is actually a pretty sharp guy. Tucker Carlson, as much as I hate to admit it, is a pretty sharp guy. Like what makes them even worse is that they are just fundamentally duplicitous, right? Like they they probably don't believe 70 percent of what they're saying. It's just the, the message that they know will make them money, which makes them just complete fucking scum. But they're not stupid. And, and if Hannity was like, we're bringing in tarot card readers, this is what we're doing. I'm I'm the fuck out of here. Like he's he's somebody that I think his own I think he I think he's aware of his own intelligence. And I think he's arrogant enough that if he saw that happen, he'd be like, I am way too good for shit like this. And you know what? I, I think this would be a space where I'd agree with Hannity. Oh, man, I'm going to take that sound bite and use it against you later. Uh, Yeah, you know, out of context, I'm sure that'll hurt me. <laughs> Stay tuned towards the end of the year where we uh, launch our mock presidential campaign. Uh, this is definitely going to be a, a smear attack. I, uh, Ryan, my mailbox right now, every day it's worse and worse. The amount of like little flyers shitting on the one candidate in favor of the other. I'm like, the, the, Georgia has a special election January 16th. And I, can we just get over <laughs> just, t- just be done nikki haley keeps texting me man she is so thirsty she's Ooh. so thirsty for the fits and Shh. and i'm just I'm, I'm like no nikki Mm-mm. 
Sorry, girl, you don't know what slaves are, apparently. <laughs> How easy was that question? I the I I gotta okay. Let's, yeah. how, how do I frame this? Yeah. So why is the Civil War or such a thing that like people complicate in their heads? It, it, if if I'm if I'm engaging honestly and trying to steal man, there is a very significant part of the South that to this day believes they were in the right that the uh, that it was essentially government overreach for them to be told you cannot own other people and that states rights is an absolutism that they they wholeheartedly continue to believe in because there is a there is a segment of the south that never really culturally let go of the civil war and i think it's also in 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 sort of a similar way that like after world war 1 um there was the aspect of like forcing the german nation to carry all the war guilt um which there's a direct line between that and the rise of hitler um who gave the nation an identity back. I think there's a lot of people in the South that when they get to the civil war and essentially the causes of it, there's, it's probably very difficult to deal with that uh, on, on an individual level. Um, especially if so much of your identity is tied up in, in your region and in your geography and to know that you were on the side that mutinied against the United States that fought to keep slaves. There's probably a lot of gym, mental gymnastics that would go on, to convince yourself and the people around you, it, it wasn't about slaves. It was about X, Y, Z, LMNOP. Um, that's, that's my on the spot take. It's just not good enough. <laughs> Cause you're, you're just like, but cause I'm, I'm just like, I know, I they, know the government has no right to come in here and tell us what we can do. What were, what were they, what were they telling you? What were they telling you to do that? We, that we could, that you slaves. could do. Oh, right. hmm. okay. I, I know. Cause that's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem with the states' rights issue is when somebody says the Civil War wasn't about slaves, it was about states' rights. The immediate follow-up question is states' rights to do what? What states' rights? Because there were some states' rights that uh, the South didn't think uh, states should have. For example, when northern states were passing laws that like would not extradite uh, slaves uh, bubbles. It's the thumbs up. It's man. the thumbs up. It's the thumbs up. We solved it. Yeah. Um, wouldn't extradite slaves back to the South, uh, freed slaves in, in the North. They didn't think that States should have that power. And they fought the, the Southern States fought that in the federal government uh, against Northern States being able to basically say, we won't be having slaves. And we're seeing kind of an interesting aspect of that play out today in the abortion division lines, which I, we're, we're just going to touch every third rail 15 minutes into this thing right right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> um, but all the, you know, states' rights, small government people are saying should be up to the states uh, on whether or not abortion is legal. And yet they're writing laws that basically would chase down people who are getting abortions in other states. S similarly with, um, with slavery, uh, but it, they wanted to own people. Um, yeah, like the, the follow-up question is states rights to do what? And that's kind of checkmate at that point. Like, I don't know how you squirm out of that one. I, 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 the states rights to make their own laws. About what? About, uh, uh, about what? Uh, the, 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 how to live our lives. 
More specifically. <laughs> Get out of here with all your goddamn questions. <laughs> Uh, but no, you you actually you make a very interesting point about the parallels between the uh, what led up to the Civil War with the, the slavery question and what's going on with abortion right now. Yeah. Which leads you to wonder that in today's world, if we were tackling slavery, it may not go well. I, I mean, it, it's a it is a fascinating and simultaneously horrifying thought experiment to run. Yeah, if I don't we were, like it. No, I, I don't either because I don't I don't like what I think the real answer is. Like I I, I want to believe that we have moved beyond such objectively horrific practices, but the I I, I don't believe that. Anyway, uh, Nikki Haley in tight contention with Ron DeSantis for the number two spot. <laughs> They're both trying so hard for number two. It's yeah, and like what's what's the point? Like, say you get second, you get third, like. What do you do with that? What's your goal? Well, and, and that's the thing is it, it, they they seem more than anything like they're angling for um, 24 or 24, 28. Um, Ron DeSantis, I think, yeah. is I, I think his political career might be fried. I, I think that this kind of a tumble from grace is is so difficult to recover from that. I think he might be done. He may win another governorship in Florida, but I'm I actually even have suspicions that he's not strong enough to do that. Nikki Haley could be legitimately dangerous in 2028. Now, I don't look at Nikki Haley and go, do I think that she's a threat to democracy? It, like, of all the people on stage in terms of the, the Republican Party, who would I be comfortable living under? I'd at least not fear for the lives of other people under Nikki Haley, except that she'd get us into every single war she possibly could. Um, but yeah, anyway. Well, I, I have a theory. Um, go for it. I've been thinking about this for all of uh, 42 seconds. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis probably died during the pandemic. I think he probably got COVID and died. No kidding. And this is like a really shitty, like from Taiwan life model decoy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy uh, is just not a people person. He's he uh, from everything that I've read, though, that's not new for him. Like he he just struggles with human connection. And in that way, I strangely I have some sympathy for Ron uh, Rhonda. By the way, am I the only one that every time I hear his name, I think his name is Rhonda Santis. I, I like I just every time I, I that. every Ronda time I Santis, he, that's who he is when he pulls on those thigh highs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> when he puts on the thigh highs, he's Rhonda Santis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, um. But like, what an incredibly lonely existence he must live because it's clear he has such a hard time connecting to people. And um, like I, there's there's multiple stories about veterans coming up to him and wanting to share the experience of being veterans, you know, because he he served in the Navy and he basically is like, oh, good for you and moves on and like can't stop and have a brotherly moment with the people that he served with. I don't know. There's something very strange about him. And and I just in the same way that the only sympathy I can muster for Donald Trump is he must be a sad, miserable man at his at his deepest core. And nobody should have to go through life like that. Same thing with like Ron DeSantis. I just I wonder how lonely he is. All right. Well, Trump can be visited by three Christmas ghosts and then we'll see if he deserves to run for president. Uh, Trump Trump has has officially missed his chance. Even even the three ghosts are looking at him and go, nah, not that guy. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know. Anyway, uh, very so. polarizing in the first uh, 20 minutes of this episode. I love it. Yeah. I, so, uh, <laughs> listeners, sometimes Josh and I come into these things and we've got like a dozen topics that we're like, well, God, we have so much to cover. We definitely walked into this and we're like, do you have anything? No. Do you have anything? No. That's okay. We'll figure it out. And somehow in 20 minutes, we have we have just hit every hot button issue that the country is currently dealing with. The only thing we didn't bring up is, is guns. And uh, at this point, Josh, I don't think, I don't think I have the, the strength. Yeah. I'm all out of ammo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, no, it's a, uh, yeah, this is kind of a, uh, a soft episode here, guys. It's, you know, it's, it's after new year, not quite Martin Luther King day. You're in that lull between holidays. Yeah. Um, every, everyone is circling back. I'm hearing these horror stories left and right about how uh, everyone is having to face the consequences of their uh, end of December actions. <laughs> Such as? <laughs> well, you know, how, like, uh, the, you know what, what, like, the corporate world is, like, in what work is. Ah, uh, yes, I do. When you're like, yes, I do. and I'm clocking out for Christmas, and maybe you work that week following Christmas, but you probably didn't really, like, work. Um then New Year's happens, and then you know after New Year's Day, then it's like okay, now we're back to work and things are happening. And you're like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you just throwing me back into everything I left on my desk from two weeks ago. Who? How dare you? Who do, Who you, do think you think you are? You are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, uh, I mean, one thing that I'll say about corporate world is that corporate world likes to be like fast moving and slick and sleek and all that. The older I get, Josh, the more I am fundamentally convinced nobody has a fucking clue what they're doing because I, I am yet to walk into a Q1 for any company that I've ever worked for. And on day one Q1, they say, here it is. This is the mission. This is what we're going after this year. Here are your goals for the next 12 weeks. This is how we want you to accomplish them. This is everything that we think that we have to make up for. And this is everything that we think that we can accomplish. Go get them. You walk back in and it's a whole bunch of, well, I mean, and then we we thought, but we found this and then we had to fix. But you just, if you could hang tight for about six more weeks, we'll have your goals. And it's like well, six more weeks and we're halfway through quarter one already. <laughs> what, <is it laughs> Groundhog Day? Six more weeks of six what the more, fuck? Six more weeks of what the fuck, yes. Yes, <laughs> only in, in this case, uh, the corporate mascot sees his shadow every damn time. Yeah, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care, no. What does the CEO do? I mean, really? What? Walk me through their day. I, Give me like the men's health following Mark Wahlberg treatment. Like, <laughs> what is your day, Mr. CEO? So they people have done that. Were they, so, and, and like well, with- I mean, there's there's shows there's shows where it's like the CEO of Donatos or something has to go work at one of his locations. But I mean, well, this it, is an undercover boss. Yeah, exactly. Not not from like an undercover boss standpoint. Although I'll, I'll say this: small, mid-sized companies. I actually believe that the CEOs are probably pretty um, pretty involved in like strategizing and directing the company, and they probably do work their ass off. I think at anything that is on the Fortune 1000 list or larger, the CEO is largely a a marketing and political figurehead who is sort of there to just be the face of the company and its its mouthpiece to the world. Um, I, I don't know that they honestly do a whole hell of a lot of strategizing at that level. Like they've got they they, they literally pay people to strategize for them. <laughs> right. And their job basically is to go into the meeting with the board. 
and be like, here's the strategy. And the board will be like, well, this is crap. And he's like, all right, I'll go fire my strategist. I'll go fire my strategist. Yeah. And I'm done for the day. What? (laughs) And, and that's what's like definitively been proven is that the you know like these at these larger companies you have these CEOs who say that they're working 16 17 hour days and it's shown no they don't they think they do because they're kind like especially in today's day and age like they're constantly attached to the job you know via technology so they're you know on their phone responding to emails from you know their ostentatiously large dinner table in the middle of their gigantic bat mansion um but the fact of the matter is, is that they attend meetings and they talk to stakeholders and partners. They don't actually do anything in terms of the function of the company. That's like well known. They don't pull levers. They don't like make doodads or whatchamacallits. They just, yeah. They just have to maximize the, the, the quarterly and annual profit. Correct. And in that way, they function as a fiduciary for the company where they must look out for the company's absolute best bottom line financial interest, which is why you will never hear like a a financially ethical CEO, because it is actually against their job description to do anything that does not help their shareholders, at least in a publicly traded company, I should say. If a CEO is not actively incentivizing their shareholders, they are going against their job as a fiduciary for their company and for their shareholders and are Actually, not they're not doing the job. That's why there is no such thing as a financially ethical CEO in a publicly traded company. Thanks for attending my TED Talk. Yeah, so I'm just going to tick that box. Uh, we now raged against uh, corporations. <laughs> <Late> stage capitalism. <laughs> this is great stuff right here. We're, we're, we're clicking through it today, Josh. We're, we're going right We're going right for it. Uh, yeah, right in there. Um, oh, I don't know if you noticed. This is a circle back of our own um, from... Uh, past us in 2023. Okay. But Forbes put that Uber article back up. They did put it back up. They did put it back up. And they were like, well, we took it down because we didn't give Uber time for comment or a chance to defend themselves for being greedy fuckbags. Um, paraphrasing. Uh, so I was like, uh, I, so I reread the article. I didn't see that much extra input. Okay. So I was like, okay. I, I, I wonder... I because like I fundamentally don't believe that. I I do not believe that somebody from Forbes wrote that article without ever going to Uber and saying, "Would you like to respond with a comment or to these questions or to these these findings?" I I don't believe that somebody from Forbes would neglect to do that. I think that, like we discussed, Uber probably got fucking furious about it and they had to go back and add some bylines about we reached out to but got no response or this is what the company is now saying yada all that kind of bullshit well and it could also be one of those things where it's like you didn't reach out to uber no i did they didn't respond okay well then we've got a deadline let's put it out and then uber was like you didn't give us a chance to respond yes did you check your email uber did you- <laughs> uh, well i was double booked in meetings uh. <laughs> Okay. Do you oh yeah. So now it looks like uh, oh you got you got filtered to spam. Uh, Forbes. So sorry. You're you're in the spam folder, <laughs> <laughs> which pisses for. Excuse us. Uh, we're Forbes. <laughs> what do you do? What what? How dare you filter How us to spam? <laughs> dare you? So all right. Anyway, they put that article back up. You can go read it, people. If you remember what we talked about uh, almost a month ago. Yeah. You. Um, you don't have to go through the Reddit screenshots anymore. Yeah. There's something just so nice about that. Oh, yeah. Well, in pop culture news. Go for it. If I could pivot here just a little bit. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, I was able to take myself to see Godzilla 
right before I left the theaters. Josh, I have heard nothing but like outstanding things about this movie. And I think we talked on our other podcast very briefly about I still question, is it the moment or is it as good as everybody's seen it? Because I, I still do not fundamentally believe that Top Gun Maverick is as good of a movie as everybody makes it out to be. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's an 8.6 out of 10 um, like IMDb has it rated. I'm curious for your breakdown. Is Godzilla minus one a moment or is it actually that good? So it is that good. If I can go into Godzilla talk wow. for a little bit, um, I, mean, I will explain. Please go on. All right. I'm going to try to do this with spoiling as little as possible. Okay. Um, right off the bat, the only negative thing I have to say about Godzilla Minus One is that I had to do a lot of reading. Oh, it's because it's in because Japanese it's and dubbed. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's subtitled. Uh, if there is a dubbed version at, in theaters, I, I didn't see it. I don't think that happens until later. Okay. When was the original uh, one dubbed? I mean, the well, <laughs> uh, so the original one came out in Japan. America got a version of it two years later. That was basically a completely recut film with that's adding right. in I, the American I, journalist. I knew this. Yep, that's right. If you watch the American one and stuff, you can enjoy it. And then you watch the Japanese Gojira and you're like, oh, that American <laughs> one's a pile of shit. <laughs> but it still gives you the, the the basics of what you need to know. Yeah. So, yeah. So Godzilla minus one. Um, I would I would tell you, you know, thinking about uh, Top Gun. Yeah. And Top Gun Maverick. Um, you are looking at almost the same movie as original Gojira. Almost. Interesting, because that is a criticism that I have of Top Gun. Yes. It is just different enough that it is not a retread of Gojira. Okay. This movie where, so I will say where Gojira is, you know, it was, it was a, a commentary. It was an allegory about nuclear arms race. Right. And all that. Uh, this movie is really about um, PTSD and survivor's guilt. Oh, interesting. Because okay. this is this is in the aftermath of World War II. Gotcha. This is, this oh, wow. is right at the end of the war and, and immediately after World War II. I'm going to say this in scare quotes. It's a period piece. Yes. Okay. Yes. It takes place, starts in 1945, I think ends in early 1947. Wow. Um, Godzilla is delightfully terrifying. Despite the fact that they are still Toho and they have a big guy in a suit, um, <laughs> he is terrifying. I'll tell you, the first time you see Godzilla, because you see him in the beginning of the movie, the first time you see him, he actually looks just like a meaner, more amped up version of the 1998 American Godzilla. You, you, in my you're opinion. talking about Zilla? Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Hang on, I got to find pictures of this now. Keep going. It, well, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what you figure out is basically like the South Pacific, like the Pacific nuclear testing and everything caused something to happen to the Godzilla monster and okay. made him a big chongus. Um, <laughs> but he is terrifying. Like he is a sinister force. So, so we're back to Godzilla being bad guy, not just like oh. an animal that's like raging around. He is. He like bad. he's he's got a purpose he's he's coming in to to fuck your shit up okay and um it's neat because it's a smaller scaled story like he's not going straight for tokyo okay the concern is that he's going to get to tokyo oh um but he basically he keeps 
threatening and coming on shore. But what's interesting is the context of it is this is right after World War II. Uh huh. Japan has been disarmed. Oh, because you know, they've they've surrendered. So they what have a fascinating plot idea. So there, there's everything's in this lens, and it's basically it's 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 this one region, it's this province basically that Godzilla is threatening, and they're basically on their own okay. to deal with Godzilla. Uh, the Japanese government's like, we don't really have resources to do anything to help out. Uh, the UN uh, gave us one of our ships back, uh, a handful of our ships back that are largely disarmed, but a handful of our Navy ships back to, to deal with this thing. Uh, the US says they can't help because of Soviet tensions and all this stuff. So we're like, we're on our own. Hmm. And it's just, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Godzilla's heat ray. <laughs> his his atomic breath. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they're like, fuck atomic breath. Basically, atomic breath is done. Like, we, we don't, like, that was a thing we in the early We don't movies. talk about like, atomic breath. They're like, no, it's, it's a nuclear fire coming out of his mouth. That is just, everybody loves the nuclear fire. We'll just do that. Sure. So this thing is fucking terrifying. Okay. When he uses that blast on land. Mm-hmm. Just the way they do that scene, it's incredible. Ooh. And it's tragic and it is Ooh. so destructive. Okay. I mean, that's that, that's been a uh I don't know if I want to say a gripe of mine because I, I I wasn't looking for necessarily tragic and this the idea of bringing some realism to it is terrifying in its own right. But that that was one of my big like gripes about the Godzilla movies lately is you don't really see him like Fucking up buildings. That's the whole thing about Godzilla is he's giant and unwieldy and he just destroys everything he walks into. It should be what drives some of the tension of the monster. Um, and I don't feel like we've really gotten that lately. So this we, we're we're getting that again. I mean, this this a Godzilla movie, in my opinion, is only as good as your human centric plot. Interesting. Because it can't be it can't be two hours of just a big monster tearing shit up. <laughs> you need some sort of narrative. <laughs> Josh, what about what about eighty minutes of a big monster tearing shit up? Could could we do eighty minutes of it? I in today's YouTube attention span, I don't think so. I don't think so. <sighs> you, I need I need some plot. So, wait, 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 I mean, hang on, hang, hang on. The, these these two ideas are fundamentally at odds. In today's YouTube attention span, the TikTokers need plot. I would argue exactly the opposite. <laughs> yes, because you need you you need sharp cuts and transitions. Okay, I'll if give you, you that. Have just one big fight. You're like, oh, okay. Put a pin in sharp cuts and, and transitions. I I want to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, go on. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. So, um, the 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 characters in this movie are fiercely important. Okay. And incredibly developed for what you have with them. Yeah. Um, is fantastic. Okay. And if they wanted to leave this as like a one-off film, they could, uh, based on like some stuff at the end of the movie. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Ho- hopefully not. But it does also leave me to wonder is, okay, but what's the story going for the, forward? For the, the, the following? Because as soon as you introduce everything else, yeah, from the Godzilla universe, like it's gonna get hella diluted, and I want to like the story needs to stay tight. How many of the original Godzilla movies did they make where it was just Godzilla? Like it, 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 before we got into like Mothra and Rodan and Mechagodzilla and there was King Ghidorah. Okay, I think it was so two or three. We got a couple where it was just the Godzilla monster before. Yes. Okay, and then even the um, 
um, I'm probably not going to say it right, but the high C area, which was um, 85 to 96. Okay. Like some of those installments are super campy, but because they, all those films were connected um, in terms of, yeah. of narrative and everything, like there's a good story. So by the, by its conclusion, um, if you're a fan and not a heartless piece of shit, uh, you're just like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> who who is the who is the Godzilla enemy that was like like had the drill arm that could just literally tear its its enemies apart with it? Who which who is that? Oh my god, I don't I don't know. He had such a rogues gallery. It, yeah, some of which was was not really part of his rogues gallery. They 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 existed prior to him. And yeah, that's true. Came to his. That's true. This universe. Uh, but T- uh, Turner Classic Movies, TCM, New Year's yeah. Day, they had a Godzilla marathon. Did they really? Yeah, starting with the very first one. And they went through um, like 6 a.m. to, I don't remember if it was like 10 p.m. or midnight or whatever, but it was just That's back awesome. to back the like original movies. And they Super get progressively cool. more camp. Oh my God. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, it starts to it, it it reaches a point it starts to fall off <laughs> yeah but all i can say is i uh i thought this was a great movie cool i look forward to the home video release i will buy it on 4k blu-ray love it uh i'm jumping on this this bandwagon here that's like starting to be concerned about digital licensing yes i think it's i think it's a very real thing yeah well it's the 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 streaming and the the digital who has what yeah it's all so convoluted it's a real problem it's a real problem and i um i am glad to own the movies that i own but like i'm already concerned about like some of my my digital movies because i what was it sony recently had the announcement that um like they lost some license or something i they were shutting down like some game ecosphere and you would lose access to the games as well. It was Sony or Xbox. Oh, wasn't it uh, something about The Last of Us? Is that what it was? Was that what, was that what it was? I'm, I'm, see if I can. Yeah, I, I just remember I was like, see, this is the problem with um, games existing not or or media, I guess rather existing as a license rather than something that you own, because if you paid for these games and the licensure changes and it's, you know, a a console or a company is stripped of their titles. The fact is they can take those games away from you, even though, or that media, whatever it is, even though you've paid for it. And I, I'm just like the, the idea of it is, is like, what is ownership? (laughs) You know, like if you've paid money for something, how can they just take the shit away? But you haven't actually paid for the product. You paid to access the license. And that is a, that is a finite contract. Yeah. Um, which is why a lot of people just subscribe to 142 streaming services for, you know, any given film or man series event at any time. I I think, I think those days are numbered. I think there's going to be some consolidation coming and people are going to get hit with bills again that are the same as fucking cable. And we're just like, okay, so we've just found our way back around. Well, yeah, honestly, if it wasn't for all these different bundles, yeah, that exists through either your cell phones or other uh, services that you use. You absolutely would have a ridiculous cable bill. Yeah, um, you know, for for us with my wife working for the Walt Disney Company, um, we get access to Disney Plus, which is also now bundling Hulu in. Yes, because 
they got the majority stake in Hulu. Yep. Um, we have Verizon as our cell phone, so we get um, something through them. I don't remember <laughs> what now. Uh, bas- basically, of of the one, all the different ones that we have access to right now, we're we're, we're paying specifically for Netflix and for HBO Max. Okay, so that's twenty five bucks. No, that's thirty at this point, isn't it? Uh, that's all probably in? thirty dollars. Yeah, and we're definitely at a point where we're like, we could probably let Netflix go for a few months. That'll sure, be fine. Yeah, yeah. I don't. There, there's there's nothing on there that I absolutely have to see right now. And, and that's the thing is like they're they're so flooded with content, and they've all of the streaming services have now flooded themselves with their own content as well. Because um, like I I think about it, I'm like, how is this? When I try and find something to watch, how is it any different than the era of walking up and down the aisles at Blockbuster hoping to find a winner? And I I just I feel like there was something a little bit more um, sincere and authentic about scanning the aisles of Blockbuster where it was basically just all alphabetical. And you were like, what am I going to land on today? Whereas anymore, like there's algorithms trying to push shit in front of you. There's all kinds of stuff that like not coming out of major studios, but coming out of Netflix studios and Netflix studios is at best a 10% studio. One in 10 might actually be worth watching. And it just, it's, there's just so much crap out there. Um, and as soon as I, as soon as those words are out of my mouth, I regretted them because I'm like, ah, oh, you can't dog on somebody else's art. And, um, no, you know, there's, there's you something can. <laughs> you can like, it's an opinion, but yeah. you can like whatever that one in 10 is to you might be, different to someone else but i I think people can agree they they are mass producing content at the loss of like integrity quality yeah so that's actually that's a good point is uh, it's probably for all watchers 10 percent of netflix's catalog is enjoyable to them what that 10 percent is is probably very different from one individual the next the next the next but the fact of the matter is is they're not making things that are liked by I, I won't say everybody because then you get like really bland watered down stuff as well but like movies you know major studio releases would you know be 40 to 60 percent of the masses would be interested in, in what was coming out you know when 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 movies were not being mass produced the way that they are now remind me to come back to you at you know probably next uh, episode or a couple down the line uh, a lot of these production studios yeah have their own free streaming services as well, by the way. Um, Interesting. Yes. The the two major examples right off the bat would be uh, Tubi and Pluto TV. Pluto TV is Viacom Paramount, Nickelodeon Paramount. So it's, it's all Nickelodeon Paramount and CBS content is, is, well, I won't say all, but basically their, their IPs are on there. Ad supported, Um, I assume, but. Well, yes, it, it's like what you're watching TV via the internet. They they have a bunch of stuff in an on-demand huh. library where you would uh, start a movie on demand if you interesting happen to catch miss the window where they open. Yes, well, why did I not um, know this? Uh, Tubi, same thing. Their library rotates constantly, but there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of film and TV on there. But okay. like each of these are owned by like one of the major production studios. Yeah. Um, Discovery Warner plans to put out their own free service. Um, Universe, NBC Universal has one that's called like Zumio or something like that. And then uh, as far as on the Disney side of things, they put a lot of content in the ABC app. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. Um, like freely accessible. Okay. Huh. 
So it, it's very interesting. Is it up uh, the same, all the same titles, the same range of content that you're going to find on the paid ones? No. Um, I, but if you're a baller you know on the, a budget, I, I, I would, I would be okay. I, I would be okay with more curated content though. Like I, I think just the the complete mass of it, the way and the way that it's being fed to us, especially, like like I, like I, because I always talk about I love the uh, <laughs> uh, I love the niching of writing and I love the niching of music because there is there is something for absolutely every audience out there and there's an ample opportunity for independent writers, independent musicians to find some degree of success and support themselves through their art if if the art has you know the right quality and integrity um <clears throat> but so i i like i'm okay to a degree with like the zone being flooded with content if it means that everybody has an opportunity to be an artist and to access that art but i would appreciate curation you know like i i i want to see it whittled down so that i understand what am i what am i actually going to be interested in which you could argue that's what the gatekeepers of yesteryear really did um so am I just arguing for us to go back to a model of <laughs> the eighties and nineties? It's we're, we're elder middle-aged dudes that are griping about the yesteryears and how, how good they was. Well, I, I, I did read a very interesting article about how the internet was fundal, fundamentally better when it was smaller and that the, the human brain is, is just from an evolutionary standpoint, not equipped for the amount of information that we are, are constantly having thrust in front of us. And um, a lot of like social discontent can be rooted back to the fact that we were just never, at least not from an, and we've probably talked about this in a, in a previous episode from an evolutionary standpoint, we're just, we're, we're not meant to be as connected as we are right now. Maybe in, you know, a hundred thousand years, our brains will catch up to, uh, to the way that technology has, has connected us as all, all as human beings. But we're living in a very awkward time in history where, we have access to so much information and our brain cannot possibly deal with everything that we're being bombarded with. Yeah. We, we touched on this a little bit when we were asking the question of like getting off Twitter. That's what it was. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I, I've cut back on my Twittering. Um, I, I scroll through it probably once a day now. Okay. Um, but if I get off it completely, I'm going to miss shit like the, the tarot card reader. On <laughs> so, uh, that's fair. Again, I'm not sure I can completely get off there until, um, I, I don't know. That's fair. It's yeah. What a time. What, what a time, Josh, what a time. Yeah. Well, if we're going to fight and gripe and complain about, uh, the state of things, we should probably make this a little more personal. Okay. Like let's bring it down a little bit. Let's, yep. let's not try to solve all the world's problems right now and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Great. Um, you and I have some direct beef. Uh, oh, yes, um, because this is a text you sent me a couple weeks ago that I let go in the spirit of Christmas. But uh, we're going to have to talk about it right now. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this discussion if it's if it's where I think this is going. Yeah, we got to talk a little bit about uh, you hating on Tears of the Kingdom a little bit. <clears throat> Josh, Tears of the Kingdom is not as good a game as Breath of the Wild. Um. This is uh, for all of our, our casual listeners who are, are not like super wrapped up in Zelda, Zelda lore and all that. Like if you just want to fast forward, maybe 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> like get to the exit beats at this point. I because this is, this is <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is going to take us out, sir. This, this is going to take a, a this is going to be a cliffhanger episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, okay. So after having played, so first of all, I'd like, I, I want to put it on the table that I, I enjoy tears of the kingdom quite a bit. There was a sweet spot of enjoyment for tears of the kingdom. And it was after you get off the sky islands up until about when you complete the main temples. Um, during that period, I found the game very compelling, very addicting, and, uh, and, and, and for the most part, pretty engaging. Um, I was never a huge fan of the Ultra Hand. Um, I appreciate the creativity that people have brought to the game with it. Um, but I think that there are enough puzzles in the game that are required, that require you to solve them with the Ultra Hand in very specific, nuanced ways. That for me, if I wanted to just pick up the game, play for 45 minutes, you know, because I need a mental break and then put it down, I don't want to be spending my time in a shrine trying to figure out how to glue fucking cement blocks together in such a specific way to solve the puzzle so that it beats the ball around it, you know, like little stuff like that. At the end of the day, though, I realize that the combat loop for me feels much more halting and jerkier. Um, I don't think it's as smooth as uh, as Breath of the Wild. Um, I think Breath of the Wild's emptiness actually works for it. And I think that the game in general has a more haunting quality where the story is told through the atmosphere and it's told visually based on the things that you just sort of stumble across and, and wonder about. Um, I, I think that the idea of Breath of the Wild is better realized, even if it doesn't have as much just as much as Tears of the Kingdom does. I find your argument very compelling, and this is this is kind of where I, I thought you were going to go with it. Um, yeah, because the combat is very different, even very. though it, it's it's similar, you know, because it's the same engine and everything. Right. Um, but the whole idea of fighting with fused weapons and having to, you know, use your environment a little more, use uh, just random shit right all, all the time. <laughs> yes, is uh, was jarring for me initially and yeah. then i got the hang of it especially when i started figuring out how to cheese certain bosses sure um i love using uh puff shrooms puff shrooms it's it's the best thing ever <laughs> it's, it's so great uh i love those damn things um the from the story angle uh mm. it's it's almost apples and oranges to me yeah because even though it's supposed to be a sequel to breath of the wild i feel like the story is woefully disconnected especially yes. when you get to the point where um besides pura and like you know some <laughs> of the sheikah people people have completely forgotten who you are i'm like it's been what maybe three to five years in between yeah, the games this was really strange this yeah, was a it, this was a bizarre thing yeah that was that was annoying yeah, that was annoying. There, there's sometimes where they're like, "Oh, hi, it's you," uh, but for the most part, people are like, "Oh, yeah, hey, strange guy that we had a whole involved story with back in the day that I have no idea who you are." Um, I found that a little insulting. Um, I I love both stories, and okay. honestly, I loved the. You finished the game, right? Tears of the Kingdom. I I have not finished it. No, no I haven't. I. I, I've gotten, so let's see, I've done all, so I've, I got the Master Sword, I did all of the main shrines, including um, the the one where you find, oh, was uh, Raru's sister. Um, there's like the, the hidden fifth sage. Mifa, 
I think her name is, or Mira or something. No, Mineru or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mineru. Yeah, Mineru. Mineru. So, yep. Found Mineru, found the Master Sword. I've done about 60 or 70 of the main world shrines. Um, Have you gotten all the tiers? Yes. Got all the tiers. So, you've got the whole backstory. Got the whole backstory. Yep. Um, In fact, I found. I found Minoru before I was supposed to, because I did a bunch of stuff accidentally out of order, which is, I mean, one thing, there's a couple of things about the game that I do still truly appreciate. And even though I think this game is actually far more linear than Breath of the Wild, um, it, it absolutely has a suggested path. You can still break that path. And I, like, I managed to find my way into spaces I was not supposed to have figured out way ahead of, of figuring them out. Um, so like I got Minoru early, I got the master sword very early, um, because I, I just, I refused to not have it. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get this fucking thing. Yeah. Um, but I, so I've done all of that and, uh, it's, it's at this point just down to go f- like fight Ganondorf. And I, I don't know why I'm just not interested. Have you done all the princess Zelda sighting stuff? Yeah, I did all that. Like it, where you chase her through the castle too. And every time okay, she so, disappears. So you did all that. Yeah. So yep. the whole Yiga clan fake princess Zelda stuff. Yeah. I, I loved that story. I recognized okay. it for what it was pretty immediately, but okay. I still thought it was such a, a cool kind of funny way to use the Yiga clan. So I, I, I'll give, I'll give the game this, um, the the use of Master Yiga and the Yiga clan, they really I, I've I continue to find the Yiga clan tedious. I don't find them difficult. They're just I'm like, they're just fucking everywhere. But the personality that are in that's in the Yiga clan and in Master Koga, um, I adore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's it's pretty cool. I think it's I think it's kind of fun. Um I think it's not fair of you to render an opinion like this when you haven't even finished the fucking game, but that's fine. I mean, so like, okay, I go beneath Hyrule Castle. I fight a bunch of gloom monsters, I assume, and then Ganondorf and like, what? (laughs) Well, you you fight Ganondorf a few times naturally and then things escalate and it's really fucking cool there's a moment where you're like oh for fuck's sake this is cartoonish <laughs> uh and you'll know it you'll okay. know it when you see it uh okay. but then it gets pretty epically cool okay and then um you know it's it's all groovy then the the story ends and it's fine and it ends in a place where you're like okay we're we're done with this version of Hyrule, right? This version. Like, okay. At this point, are we going to yeah. like build a bridge across the chasm and go to a different fucking land or like something? Are we going to yeah. skip a few hundred years in either direction? Like what, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, morbid curiosity about the ending just from that standpoint, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to understand like where, where they do leave things off. Um, I just, I, I don't know why I'm not compelled to push the story forward. Um, I think that there is, a, this one was, it, this is what we gripe about all the time on our other podcast. This, I, I, this game was kind of atrociously written from a story standpoint. It has an excellent story at its very, very core. But the way that that story is integrated into the actual gameplay, the fact that you have to hear the damn sages say the same shit every single time you complete 
a, a temple and you're you're with like your new sage buddy who's always like, oh, this is a mystery to me. And, and Link is over here like, I've fucking heard it four times, guys. Like, let, let's move it along. <laughs> like, um, and the fact that even like, again, if you do certain things out of order, it leads to very awkward dialogue branches where they're like, oh, you've already done this. And like, you know well in advance what the deal with Zelda is. But nobody else around you seems to have like figured it out. So you still got to go through that song and dance. I just I the the time jumping and the, um, you know, Zelda being in the past, taking action that impacts things in the future and having to put that together, I thought was really cool. But I don't think it was well integrated into the gameplay. Uh, minor spoiler. What I will say is that you don't end up with uh, Tears of the Kingdom Velma, which is a tragedy. <laughs> So. <laughs> it's, all, uh, it's fine so i've, I've actually I've, I've gone back and i'm i'm replaying breath of the wild right now which i i so this is i've, I've got two things that i, w- I want to touch on with breath of the wild versus tears of the kingdom one is the combat flow because tears of the kingdom forces you to utilize a lot of different items and and your environment in ways that I think could be super creative and really effective but the mechanics to do it are really clunky like if you want to go from shooting a puff shroom arrow to firing uh, an arrow with electric choo-choo jelly at you know an enemy that's charging right at you that switch is not it, it's not easy to do it breaks the flow of combat to me so egregiously that I don't necessarily feel like I'm fighting my enemies I feel like I'm managing inventory okay and and I, I i struggled with that later on in the game because it gives you a lot of things to do that uh help level the playing field considering that you are now fighting stronger monsters and this is kind of a weaker version of link um but i just i, I felt like all of the inventory juggling the way that it's built into the game and the conditional inputs that are needed to really like get through a combat sequence it felt so clunky and jerky to me that as I would get into larger and more difficult groups of enemies, I just grew bored with the fighting. Whereas there okay. was never a point in Breath of the Wild where if I went to like, you know, monkey a silver Lionel, I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Because I knew it was sword, arrows, and all I had to do is just stay on top of what my live weapon is as I break stuff uh, against against the Lionel. Um yeah, that's so that that's what are your thoughts there? Uh in terms of combat, I would say that the Breath of the, I I think Breath of the Wild is more combat oriented in terms of what button combos to do yeah. to make what happen versus in Tears of the Kingdom there is still that, but it is also a lot uh a lot more like Minecraft yeah, combat oriented. <laughs> yes. Uh because everything is is uh, centered around the crafting system. So yes. they are, it's again, even though it's similar, it, it is very different. It is. It's very different. So I, I think most Zelda games are beautiful and I think both of these were, <laughs> were great. I have to say most, there are certain Zelda titles that I can't stand. They, but, yeah. um, by and large, I like, I think they are both great. I think the stories in each of them are wonderful I struggle with making them connect. Yeah, they they are not as they're not as well linked as I, as I feel like they should be. <laughs> you see well what linked. I did? Linked. 
<laughs> it's funny, guys. Kalink is the name of the main character. Uh, you wouldn't know because nobody seems to know who the fuck he is. Nobody just even though they saw him in the previous game. Again, another reason why these two s- stories shouldn't be connected. Right. Um, but they're playing in the same sandbox, and you're like, oh, okay, it's a continuation of the story. But really, it shouldn't be because I have questions. Why do we have a Calamity Ganon and a Ganondorf? Ganondorf, yep. I, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, not not well explained. Um, final thought on Breath of the Wild. This is my hot take on it. Breath of the Wild is if you reskinned Metroid as a Zelda game. Uh, okay, go on. It is lonely. It is hostile. It is vast sweeping environments where everything you encounter is incredibly dangerous to you. And there is almost no help for you along the way beyond the weird technology that you find and your ability to outshoot your opponent. Like one of the things that makes Metroid for me such a compelling game is the emptiness to it it's it is the isolation it's the claustrophobia it's the fact that uh and and actually i would argue metroid is one of the very first if not the very first truly open world games from a side scroller standpoint because you you can go anywhere in the game right from the get-go if you can if you can figure it out you know if you can break the game mechanics enough similarly with breath of the wild you can go anywhere if you can find a way to break the game mechanics enough and um I think that sense of isolation really works for Breath of the Wild. And I think that it's, it's for me, it's spiritual parallel to a Metroid game, which the Metroid games have always been my, my favorite video game series. I think that's why I connect more with Breath of the Wild is because there's, there's something haunting about it that you can't quite put your finger on. It's, it is the emptiness of the world and, and the, the dread and the horror left behind in the wake of this calamity and you begin very weak but as you put together more and more of this ancient technology you find yourself in a way in a space that you suddenly become a juggernaut that you can bash your way through areas that you were never able to conquer and so it feels to me like metroid okay yeah interesting yeah what uh, i will say there's two things that breath of the wild have going for it over tears of the kingdom go for it one it rains way fucking less it does. Two, the dragons are on a schedule in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. You can figure out where they show up at what time, uh-huh. and they're reliable. They're very reliable, yes. <laughs> Not so much in Tears of the Kingdom. And you, you need like, so many, so many more dragon parts in Tears of the Kingdom. Farouche is the worst one. Oh, where the it- fuck is he? He's in the depths 90% of the time. That's where he is. And, and and for all the all the time that he spends down there, have I ever once run into him down there? No, not once. I'm like, I know you go down there, man. I've found Colgara four times in the depths. I'm like, <laughs> this asshole's flying around all over the place. Colgara is like, he he's making his nest down here. But fucking Farish, every time I see him go down there, I'm like, where are you? Where have you gone? Fucking asshole. So they it, they fly routes though, isn't that like they're, yeah, they're not a on route. a schedule, but they fly on a route? Yeah, yeah, they're on a route, um, which is handy if you want to ride a dragon into the depths. That can be <laughs> handy for. Oh no, I've done it all the time. It okay. can be handy for getting around to some places where you haven't gotten a light route. 
Oh. Um, that can be kind of useful. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And if you're really good, you can hop off, get the light route, hop back on. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> that, gets, that, gets, that, that gets a little tricky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they don't have the updrafts anymore. They do. If you're close enough, if you really? get close enough, they have updrafts. You got to get I, close enough, though. I thought they did away with updrafting because you could fly to the Sky Islands and drop down on them. No. They it, still the have updraft the updraft. Doesn't, it, it doesn't take you that high. I, I'm, I know I know. Um, the, the Light Dragon has updrafts. Well, and the Light Dragon does fly much higher than yes. the other ones. Yeah. So maybe you can get to Sky Islands from, from Light Dragon. Anyway. Well, get, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Zelda talk, Godzilla talk. Apparently we simp for the Japanese over here at Morning they, Radio TBD, and they that's make, okay. They make cool stuff, man. Yeah. They make they cool the stuff. Sashimi. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so does Splinter. He's uh, he's all in on sashimi, so. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my son today, uh, this, this past week, he said he wanted to try sushi. Good for him. The pickiest eater on the planet decided he wanted to try sushi. <laughs> and we're like, okay. So uh-huh. every day he's been like, oh, can I do sushi? And I'm like, no, you have to wait till Wednesday. Okay. Because Publix does $5 sushi rolls. Wait, what Wednesdays. day is it today? It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday of this recording. If you're listening to us uh, on time, you got two more days. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we got there and I was like, all right, you can pick it out and stuff. And he got a veggie roll. Because of course he did, and I'm like, "All right, it's it's good, but it's going to be super bland." And um, sure enough, he tried it. He took a few bites. He tried dipping it in a little soy, dipping in a little teriyaki. Surprising no one, he's not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah, I was like, "Well, yeah, there's no flavor to this. You need you need flavors." And he hates all the soy related flavors. <laughs> Wait till he gets uh, to the raw tuna, the salmon. I know. I know. <laughs> I was like, do you want this with a big slab of tuna on top of it? No? Huh. No, sure. No. It's shocking. All right. Okay. You do you, kid. <laughs> He's also on a big Doctor Who kick right now. Good for him. Which cracks me up. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we watched Out of Order a little bit because hmm. um, th- this past uh, November was the 60th anniversary. So yeah. all those specials came up on Disney+. Plus, and so he watched those specials with us. And we're like, okay, okay there's a lot of context you're not clued in on. Right. Uh, so <laughs> we went back, but we started with the Matt Smith uh, era, which was uh, the 11th incarnation of the Doctor. Okay. Um, we've gone up through halfway through season seven, and then we're like, okay, we got to stop here. Now you got to go back and watch David Tennant as number 10, mm, his yeah. era. So he's in the middle of that right now. Okay. Because um, we're like, cause there's some plot points coming up that you're really not going to understand. <laughs> so, but I'm I'm enjoying watching him trying to keep it straight in his head who's who and okay. what time because he's also seen like the brand new Doctor right uh, in, in the Christmas special and stuff. So it's all uh, it's all a little topsy turvy timey wimey for him. <laughs> uh, so this this was kind of a freewheeling episode, uh, which I enjoy yeah. doing that every so often. It's kind of nice to just ramble yeah um but we will have more structure next week we we promise there there are things yes. that need to be discussed and we'll, we'll, we'll be, <laughs> yes. we, we will get to uh, them <laughs> yes because like volcanoes erupted there's Ugh. earthquakes Ugh. um wars there's wars everywhere it's um, it's not great josh and we're gonna start africa next week so ryan if you want to brush up a little bit on uh the DRC, De- Democratic People's Republic of Congo. 
Democratic Republic of Congo. Democratic Republic of Democratic People's Republic is Korea. Oh that's that's Korea. Uh, that that's one thing we'll touch on is um, if the name of a country has something along the lines of like democratic republic or people's like it's it, chances are the it's, democracy it, aspect is a little is a little fuzzy uh, yeah not not a little so, on the fritz there not so present yeah yeah so uh that that'll be next week we'll, we'll dive um into specifically uh the land formerly known as zaire awesome other stuff we'll talk about other stuff too but. sure 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 sure, sure. <laughs> um that's it yeah thanks guys awesome. Yeah, holidays thanks. are officially over. It's it is onwards to 2024. Yeah, yeah fuck this year. All right, <laughs> I'll just get it out of the way. Fuck this year. Fuck this year. <laughs> oh damn it! All right, we'll see you next week, everyone. <laughs>